Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. God wants us to value our relationship with Him, which simply means He doesn't want us to take Him for granted. He doesn't want us to ignore Him. Although sometimes it may come very naturally to us. Paul valued his relationship with other believers, Christians in Corinth. And he valued his relationship with them even though they were driving him nuts. Kind of like the people in your life that you value. You love them. Shaking baby syndrome is real. You know, you just want to shake that baby. <clears throat> that's 38 or 58 or whatever. But he wrote to encourage these Christians to take their commitment to God seriously like he had. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Instead, I discipline my body and keep it under control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He uses and learns and exercises self-discipline, self-control, because he values the relationship that God has with him. And he says this to remind them of what happens when people take their relationship with God for granted. Right after that, the context is set for what he says in the next five verses of 1 Corinthians 10. Here's just kind of a recount of it. I won't read it to you. But what he'll talk about in 1 Corinthians 10, the first five verses, is to remind them that God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. He'd heard their prayer. He'd answered their prayer. And he did so to fulfill his promise to bless the world through them. Not because they had done something significant, but because he had been so faithful. Eventually, they started to take their relationship with him for granted. And despite God's blessings, they started to feel like he was holding them back from their freedom to do whatever they wanted to do. Kind of that 17-year-old mentality when you feel like you're old enough to run your own life and you really don't need anybody else telling you what you can and can't do. Their trust began to be affected by things like, well, where is God anyway? And kind of an out of sight, out of mind thing. And he began to question God's direction. This all kind of came to a head at a place called Mount Sinai when Moses had gone up the mountain to speak to God about where do you want us to go next? What do you want our relationship to look like? And he comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. He summarizes that moment and some of the other moments after that by this in verse 5, where he simply says, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the desert. Well, that doesn't sound like the good father that Stephanie just talked about at all. But that's why Paul warns the church to show God the value that they have of their relationship with him. 
How do you do that? Well, he would go on to tell those Christians in a place that was out of control culturally called Corinth in verse 6, you need to stay away from things that are evil. In verse 8, you need to, you need to stay away from certain people because sexual purity matters. Even in a culture where there really wasn't anything as sexual purity. In verse 9, he would tell them, listen, don't test the Messiah. In verse 10, don't speak against God. And here's the point of emphasis that he repeats twice. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, and then again, verse 11. He, had, he, he says all of that around these bookends. Those things happen to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us. That's because we're living at the time when God's work is being completed. Now, the emphasis there is as though God's saying, pay attention to me. You've had those conversations with your folks, right? Pay attention to me. Don't ignore this. And the reason is because this is important enough that he wants to drive it home. God expects us to be willing to sacrifice for him. Now, it's pretty easy to understand why they might have felt like God is the no-fun God or the God of perpetual no. I mean, remember the last time you read through Leviticus or tried to read through Leviticus? You know, like Stephanie had said about trying to read through the Bible instead of just picking a verse here or there that comes up on your, on your phone every now and then. We all get stuck at Leviticus sometimes. And it's all the sacrificial rituals and the offerings and all the rules and what does it all mean? You know, in Leviticus 1, he talks about a burnt offering of a bull or a ram or a male bird without defect. They had to be perfect. And it was done as a sign of worship and devotion to atone for any unintentional sin. Unintentional sin. You remember that, right? It's like, baby, I don't know what I did, but I'm sorry. We, we've all been there, right? You know, clearly things are not right. I don't know why. I'm sorry. Well, we've had that thing with God, too, where it feels like God is just hammering us. You know, he's tightening that vice. It's like, okay, God, I don't know what I did wrong, but I'm sorry. Here. Well, that's the burnt offering, okay? And in Leviticus 2, he talks about a grain offering. You know, it's kind of a flat bread without yeast, the unleavened bread. It was, recognized, it was to recognize God's provision and God's blessing. And also to, a reminder to be ready when God says, this is what I need you to do. You're ready to go. You get into chapter 3 of Leviticus and he'll describe what's referred to as a fellowship offering. Think of it as thanksgiving. Any animal, again, without defect, And it was a sense of community. It's what we share together as God's blessed people. Leviticus 4 talks about a sin offering. Wait, I thought we already did that with the burnt offering. Well, this is a little different. It, it varied depending on who was offering it, but it was to atone for a specific but unintentional sin. Again, most husbands in the room will understand this. I know I shouldn't have said that. I'm wrong. 
I didn't mean to say what I said, but I, I, I said it and, and I'm wrong. Well, if you were a high priest, you needed to bring a bull. If you were just a leader in the community, then you were expected to bring a male goat. If you were somebody else, just a, a, one of the folks, then you were to bring a female goat or a lamb. If you were poor, then you were to bring a, a, a bird, a dove. And if you were very poor and didn't own any animals, see if you can find two quarts of flour. That's good. And then you get chapter 5, and that's the guilt offering of a ram or a lamb. And it was a mandatory offering because you knew you had sinned, and this was forgiveness, and it was a way to make restitution as well as the 20% fine, if you will. Now, all of that's in those first five verses of Leviticus 5. And rather than try to memorize that, no, there won't be a pop quiz afterwards. But I just want you to remember this thought. God has always expected us to sacrifice for him because we value our relationship with him. Well, you start to understand now why people felt like they were always having to give their best to God. Well, that's because God refuses to settle for leftovers. In Amos chapter 5, verse 22, he says, I will not accept your burnt offerings and your thank offerings. I'll not look at your offerings of peace. Well, you just say that you wanted it, God. What do you mean? Now you won't accept it. Which way is it? Do you want me or not? Do you want, do you want to accept my apology or not? I don't know what else to say. Well, here's the thing. When it comes to our relationship with God, he wanted people to remember that relationships require sacrifice to be meaningful. Here are three things that make a sacrifice meaningful. The person, the offering, and the reason for it. The person would be the one who was bringing that sacrifice to the altar, to, to offer it to God. The offering would represent something of value and significant to that individual. And then the reason for it was their motivation for doing that. I want to spend a little bit of time. Now, I know this may sound like a yawner, and maybe you've already zoned out. But I'm telling you, the idea, the idea represented in these three principles of sacrifice will affect every aspect of your life in every aspect of your relationship, whether it's with God or anybody else. What is it that makes my sacrifice meaningful to God? Well, the first thing is that my sacrifice has to be my choice, my voluntary choice. Without free choice, there's no meaning to what's offered. It's just another resented tax. A willingness to sacrifice indicates a willingness to surrender to God. Remove the freedom of choice in the sacrifice, and it becomes just another forced obligation. It's like when you're wrestling around as a kid on the floor, and your big cousin you know, has you pinned down and just, you know, say it, say it, say it, and, and finally it's like, uncle, my cousin. You're not my uncle. 
Doesn't matter. Say it. A lot of times people feel like that about God. He's got me in what Chris refers to frequently as a Christmas headlock, and there's no way out of it other than to just give him what he wants and be done with it so you can get on with your life. But what does that do to you? Anything that's forced eventually creates resentment. And if it's given freely instead of being forced, it makes all the difference in the world. That's why Jesus would talk in the Sermon on the Mount about something that was so radical that he would say it this way in Matthew 5.41, if someone like a Roman soldier that occupied their country at the time forces you to go with him for one mile, go with him too. And what's unwritten was it'll really mess with them. Because Roman soldiers can't take what you freely give. And that's the point of this. If I freely give it of my voluntary choice, then I don't see it as what you're taking from me. I see it as what I'm giving to you because I value that. And likewise, then, a sacrifice is only meaningful to God when it's our voluntary choice to give it. It's, I've been doing this long enough to know it's the difference between me calling somebody to thank them for coming to visit their church and some random member who calls them and says the same thing. It means more when you call than when I call. Well, it's just his job. Well, yeah, it was nice that he called, but he's supposed to. They pay him to do that. Nobody paid you to make that call. It means more. Well, they didn't have to do that. They went out of their way to do that. We value what someone does when we feel like they've gone out of their way to do that for us. When they didn't have to. People see that sacrifice as meaningful because it was, again, their voluntary choice. And that's what you do in relationships. You volunteer to do something that costs you something because they mean that much to you. The second thing that makes my sacrifice meaningful to God is that the sacrifice has to cost me something that I value. God tells his prophet Malachi to just shut the temple doors. Maybe that's where the phrase came from, shut the door. But he, he said, just shut the doors. Stop going through the motions of sacrifice. See, this is how he phrases it in verse 13 of Malachi 1. You bring hurt, crippled, and sick animals as gifts. You bring them as gifts, but I won't accept them from you, says the Lord. Well, there you go. My sacrifice has to cost me something. Because when we offer something of value to God, that's when it becomes sacrificial. Remove the value or remove the cost of the sacrifice and it becomes meaningless, both to God and to me.
I have very specific memories of my mom's oatmeal cookies. I don't know why, maybe oatmeal was cheap. It was her go-to cookie, even more so than chocolate chip. But when mom made fresh oatmeal cookies, and I grabbed a handful before heading out to the barn to do the milking for the next two hours before we would come in and, and finally then eat supper. Inevitably, our collie knew that I had something fantastic in my hand. And every time I would raise it to put it in my mouth, you'd look down at her and the dog was going like this. You know, and the tail's going like this, and you, you know, it's like, I like cookies, I like cookies. You don't even know what a cookie is. You know, I like cookies, you like it, so I like it, right? If all we had in the house as a snack was Oreo cookies, give the dog an Oreo. But if I, if I made the choice to give her my last bite of oatmeal cookie. <laughs> that meant something. Because I wanted that. I valued that. So if your relationship with God hadn't cost you anything, it probably isn't worth much to you. That's why Jesus would say this in Matthew 10, whoever loves father, mother, son, or daughter more than me aren't worthy of being my disciples, my followers. And in verse 38, whoever is not willing to carry the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. It's the difference between how people drive a rental car and how they drive their own car that they're paying for. It's the difference between how people treat the rented house that they're in versus how people treat the house that they've bought and are trying to sell. I mean, all of a sudden, we're putting money into this place that we haven't put into the place for years. You know, well, why am I painting it now if we're just going to sell? Because we want to get a good price for it. Why are we doing all this work on that? Why do you... It's the difference... Because people don't sacrifice for a rental car relationship, right? I've got nothing vested other than the, the daily rental of the car. Can I just tell you that a lot of people have a rental church relationship? They haven't invested much, so it doesn't cost them anything to leave it like a penny on the sidewalk. A rental church relationship. It's the person who consistently rolls in late, once every four to six weeks, tosses down communion at the appropriate time, throws in the same $5 that they've thrown in since they've been an adult, and they critique everything and everybody about the worship service, but they're never going to volunteer to do anything. They just walk away. That's the same mentality that would have ignored completely the Old Testament prophets and been shocked by God's judgment on them. What do you mean, shut the temple doors? I'm bringing you, okay, I had to, 
I had to throw it in a cart to bring it because it's got three broken legs and the wolves got a hold of it, but it's still breathing, so here, God, I love you. Really? If my sacrifice doesn't cost me anything, then I must not value what I'm doing or the one that I'm offering it to. A third thing that makes my sacrifice meaningful to God is that my sacrifice is supposed to change me. The purpose of a sacrifice was meant to reveal a changed heart, a transformed heart that desired a relationship with him. See, God's sacrificial system was never meant to be just filler until the Messiah came. He wasn't interested in the logistics of a temple sacrifices that checked all the boxes. You know, oh, good, you brought a bull. Good, let's check it out. See if there's anything wrong with it. Nope, even the tail's not broken. Check, we'll do that. No, it wasn't. That wasn't his concern. That wasn't what he was interested in. The purpose of the sacrifice was to renew their commitment to the relationship, to a healthy relationship, which meant there are times when I need to say, God, I messed up, I did it, I, I know I was wrong. Here, I want to be right with you. Guys have learned that stopping at the gas station on the way home to buy a flower is not going to accomplish what you want it to accomplish. Because it didn't cost you much, if anything. And it really doesn't indicate that you want anything to change in a relationship. You just want her off your back. So there's no change, there's no transformation. You see, that's why Jesus came down on the Pharisees so hard. I mean, the Pharisees were super committed to sacrifice, right? Jesus says to them, you know, woe to you hypocrites who tithe, and then he identifies some really, really tiny spices, like they were called mint, dill, and, and cum. Just think spices, okay? Here's... Ten grains of salt, God, you get one grain of salt. That's how serious I am about my relationship with you. They were super obsessed about sacrifice, but in the process, they completely ignored things like justice and mercy and faithfulness. He says to them, you should have been doing these things and not failed to do the other things also. He wanted them to understand that ritual were no, no replacement for relationship. I'll, let you, I'll pause just long enough for you to think of some rituals that have replaced relationships in your family. I don't know, what's the next one? Thanksgiving? Well, families all got to get together. Really? How's that work out? Because, you know, it's not Christmas until somebody's crying. <laughs> I 
The ritual is no replacement for the relationship. And that doesn't matter whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or the temple sacrifices or, for that matter, the ritual of what you do on Sundays. You see, Jesus wanted them to understand that... Okay, I want you to understand. This is how preachers end up in the news with their immorality exposed to the world or their greed that's kind of finally come to light or for that matter any other part of their corruption. It also explains how somebody can go to church every week for years and be super involved at church and still make you cringe when somebody you know says don't they go to your church? And we all start flinching a little bit because we're scared to death of what they might say next because we know who they are. Oh yeah, they're, they're a member of our church. They're here every time the doors are open. They're the director of this particular program at church, but, well, it's the inspiration for Dana Carvey's self-righteous church lady character on Saturday Night Live years ago. Yeah, super committed to all the wrong things. But it portrayed exactly the kind of mentality that both Isaiah and Jesus experienced when Jesus would quote Isaiah with these words, These people honor me by what they say, but their heart is far from me. You see, this consistently described God's people in the Old Testament that the prophet Isaiah dealt with. They thought they could live whatever lifestyle they wanted without any kind of repercussion. Yeah, hey, did you see the size of that bowl that I brought to the temple last week? They thought they could live however they wanted because, well, God loves me. I'm his chosen people. All they had to do was keep God on their side by repeating the rituals of sacrifice without ever intending to change anything. God desperately wanted to, them to grasp the reality that relationships require more than just routine rituals. And I think Jesus would probably want us to grasp that same thing. The Old Testament was supposed the Old Testament sacrificial system was supposed to be more than robes and the smell of barbecue at temple. Healthy marriage relationships require more than the routine rituals of life, like some kind of domestic Pavlov's dog. Oh, they did that. You know, I get an oatmeal cookie now. Healthy families require more than coming home to the same place for food, shelter, laundry, and sleep. Healthy churches require more than the routine rituals of Sunday. But it's the desire for health, not the ritual, that's the motivation behind our table fellowships that we're starting up again. It's the desire for relationship that 
is the motivation for why we encourage Bible classes. And, and whether it's for the kids or whether it's at 9 o'clock, it's a desire for meaningful relationships that we connect with each other at, at retreats or camps. Or even, you know, the guys walkabouts in the fall and the spring or sometimes even in the winter. Why do crazy things like that? Why go to golf outings? Well, because it's that connection of relationship. You see, it's not about, well, it's time for the annual golf outing. It's about the relationship with each other that's created. It's not about, well, we better get there at 9 o'clock you know, so we can be there for Bible class. No, it's about the relationship that you acquire with others as you share what your insight is from the Word of God on that particular study. You see, meaningful relationships require sacrifice. And sacrifice requires choice. Not obligation and guilt, choice. Meaningful relationships require sacrifice of something that I value. I just got home. I don't want to get, I don't want to get dressed and go out again tonight. Meaningful relationships require the sacrifice of well, that's just how I am. Everybody knows how I am. They know how sarcastic I am. So that, you know, why would I want to be any different? No, sacrifice requires changing who you are. That's why it's a sacrifice. David, why don't you and the praise team join me up on stage. We're going to wrap up with this. God intended the principles of the sacrificial system to have an impact on our relationship with him. Because when we sacrifice something to God, when, when we grasp the idea of choice and cost and change, that's behind the idea of Romans 12, verse 1. I exhort you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Offer yourselves. Nobody took it. You offered it. yourself who you are not just what you have but who you are that's cost offer yourselves as living sacrifice set apart for god that's the change in relationship this will please him in the coming jewish bible translation phrases it this way it's the logical temple worship for you that was a logical temple worship for people who were willing to sacrifice their freedom just like Jesus did when he went to the cross. He would describe it this way in Romans 6, verses 4 and following. Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's the change. Part of choice, cost, and change for we know that our old self was crucified with him there's the cost so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless and we would no longer be enslaved to sin now if we died with Christ we believe that we'll also live with him for the death that he died to sin 
he died once for all, so that the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. That's what it is to be crucified with Christ. So that the life that I continue to live in the flesh, I'll live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Meaningful relationships require sacrifice. And sacrifice requires that we make a choice. Even if it costs us something we value, we're willing to pay that price because of the change that will happen because of that. Choice, cost, and change. The three principles of sacrifice that make our relationship with him meaningful. We'll spend more time in the coming weeks talking about the implications of choice, cost, and change. I hope that in the meantime, you'll spend time reflecting on not taking God for granted, not taking your relationship with him for granted. But consider the choice that you'll make for your relationship, the cost and the change that will happen when you're willing to make that sacrifice for him. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at barrysvillechristian.org.